Uh, I'm Rob Weatherald. I'm the co-chair of the Programs Committee. And along with my fellow co-chairs, Emma Cox and Kurt Carnatz, I want to welcome you to this, this afternoon's program. I also want to say a special thank you to John Wickman, who really took the lead in putting this program together and bringing the speakers in. So thank you, John. Now, on to today's program, How the Midwest Was Won. Uh, this is, uh, it's been a while since we've had the economic development people here. I think this is going to be a very interesting and certainly a very timely conversation. I'm going to introduce our moderator and I'll let her take it from there. So please welcome Tracy Hyatt Bozeman, Managing Director of Biggins, Lacey, Shapiro and Company. Okay, so do we have this on? There we go. Um, welcome, everybody. We're excited about this uh, panel. This is going to be, um, well, we hope it's going to be peaceful. Um, you know, we've got uh, three states here represented that compete hard, um, but also keep, compete together on the world stage. Um, so speaking of the stage, let me welcome them up, and uh, then we'll start the presentation. So we've got uh, Lane Badel with the uh, state of Indiana and the Indiana Economic Development Corporation. Mark Hogan, Secretary and CEO of the Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation. And Brent Case, you'll have to tell us your story about your title when you, when you, when it's your turn, okay? So he is SVP of Business Development um, for Intersect Illinois. <coughs> Excuse me, this dry weather uh, kills me. We're going to, um, our, our process is we're gonna let each of these speakers um, give a presentation. We're going to start in the south um, with Elaine because there was a, a pre-event arm wrestling contest and Indiana won it. So Elaine gets to go first, uh, followed by Brent and then Mark. And then I'll come back up and um, we'll, we'll start talking a little bit more about the Midwest as a region and start inviting your questions as well. So with that, I'll turn it over to you, Elaine. <laughs> Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. It's great to be here with all of you, and I appreciate your taking the time from your busy days to do that. Um, you are great partners. Obviously, anyone in the real estate professionals, the site selectors, the architects, whoever brings all of this together are great partners for an economic development organization, because if we didn't have you, we probably would have a lot more difficult time attracting and, and completing opportunities with different companies. So thank you for being here and, and hearing a little bit about our story and what we do. And I left my glasses, so there we go. Thanks. Appreciate it. <clears throat> I am Elaine Beadle, as was, was mentioned, and I'm president of the Indiana Economic Development Corporation. Uh, the governor, uh, Eric Holcomb, who uh, was elected and took office last January, January 2017, appointed me to that position. So I started February 1st of last year, so I just passed my one-year anniversary, so I'm still a little bit of a rookie at all of this, I guess. Prior to that, I um, founded and owned a financial planning and investment management firm uh, that's now 30 years old. So. Uh, Took a, took a sabbatical from that business to kind of step into this and talk about stepping off the cliff into something you didn't know much about. And so it's been a learn by the fire hose kind of experience for the last year, but it's, it's been interesting and fun. Um, thought I might give you just kind of a little bit of a 
background. Let's see which way. There we go. Um, the Indiana Economic Development Corporation was actually just created in 2005 when then Mitch Daniels was governor. He's the current president of Purdue University. Um, he wanted to create a, an organization, it's a quasi-government organization that really works at the speed of business and really focused on economic development for the state. Prior to that, it was part of the responsibilities of the Department of Commerce. So the Department of Commerce doesn't exist any longer, but we have the Indiana Economic Development Corporation. We have a board made of 15 different business people around the state, and it is chaired by the governor. Our mission is purely to help existing businesses expand their footprint in Indiana and to attract businesses from outside of the state and outside the country to come in and, and hopefully um, begin a footprint in Indiana. So we job creation is what we're all about, and we have incentives that are legislatively approved uh, to allow us to do that. So job creation, capital investment, and employee training grants are the three main um, uh, incentives that we have, all performance-based, which I like to say to the Indiana taxpayer that unless that company comes through with that commitment, they don't get paid, and that makes people feel, feel good when they hear sometimes the big numbers that are attached to that. The process, and you're probably, several of you are probably very familiar with it, just starts with, uh, I won't go through it all, you know, site search, you know, project uh, applications, et cetera, et cetera, to come to the bottom deal. The nice thing about Indiana, though, I think, and, and many the other states may do this as well, is that we put we package together the state incentives with the local incentives. So we're very active with the local economic development group because obviously their incentives are very different from what the state can offer. And then sometimes utilities get brought into that as well. So when we put an offer letter out, it's got all of that together and it's in one package as opposed to multiple different sides of things. So we find that to be helpful. And all about that is to work at the speed of business, exactly what um, Governor Daniels had hoped for us to do. <clears throat> so we can respond fairly quickly. And to that point, Matt Satanovich is here. He's our regional economic development representative for IEDC, and he's got Northwest Indiana, so many of you may, may know him already, but if not, get to know him. And I do have to mention Allie Lindenschmidt, who's here. Give a wave. She's our, my field director. I wouldn't be here if it hadn't been before Allie to drive me, get everything ready for me, and have the presentation. She's a great, great person. So I don't want anybody to steal her. We have more Hoosiers working than ever before, 2.7 million, 3.4% unemployment, which is a little bit lower than some of our neighboring states. But to give you an idea, we were at 10.9% in 2009 when we peaked out because of the recession. So we've come a long way from that. But good news, bad news, when you talk about workforce with new businesses wanting to come in and you've got a low unemployment rate, you know, where am I going to get my employees? I think what's positive for us is that 64% participation rate. You know, across the United States, we should be at a 67, 68%. We're under that now. Um, so if we can move that up, in other words, get workers who should be working, who are in that pool of workers back into the job force would help us. In fact, the calculation is if we could get to 70%, we'd have another 250,000 workers. So um, we've got to figure out what barriers are out there keeping them from doing that, and there's an emphasis on that now. What we did last year was a record-breaking year for Indiana. We had 30,158 new job commitments um, <clears throat> from 
293 different companies with about $7 billion in committed asset investment. So we had a great year. We're always proud, though, of, of what wages we can get on those. And so those 30,000 jobs actually average $27.20, and the average wage. So we're pleased with that. And if you think about it, the average wage in Indiana is like $21.51 now. So we'd like to keep that number above that. 2018, we're off to a, a start that um, our numbers are a little bit higher than these here. We have about 2,200 new jobs, et cetera, um, committed already. So we're anxious to kind of get off to the state. Because our governor, when you set a record one year, he likes to kind of push it up. So in his State of the State address, he proudly announced that the new goal was 35,000 jobs. We're all going, really? This should be interesting. So we're, we're going to do our best. Um, and many times, um, we're fortunate that Indiana does get on the short list of companies that do want to expand. Um, but that's not something that happened overnight. Really, you're looking at the last decade where Indiana got itself into a position with low taxes, great business environment, AAA bond rating, uh, always balanced the budget. $1.8 billion, which is 12% of our budget, is in cash reserves. So I think a business can look at Indiana and with all of the attributes of, of low taxes, low, low um, uh, wage, um, employment tax wage, those types of things, they look at it as, no, it's a stable state, one that makes sense. And so um, basically, uh, we get on the short list, as I said. But some of the rankings, those third party uh, validations are always nice. We're number one in the Midwest and number five nationally for business climate. Number one for government efficiency, number two for lowest cost of doing business in, in the nation, number two for cost of living. So a lot of those comparisons are very helpful to us. A lot of those third-party validations are very helpful. Um, who's your advantages? Again, we were always called the crossroads of America. Number three in infrastructure. And I think this is incredible. I had no idea when I first took this job. Within, within one day's drive of Indiana, you can get to 60% of the US population. So no wonder we're great for logistics. Uh, with the infrastructure system we have and the, and the closeness to the population, it's great for distribution centers, et cetera. Some of the areas that we're focused on, obviously, agribusiness. You know, we kind of like to say in Indiana, we grow things, we make things, and we move things. So agribusiness is obviously big, and people like to kind of see what we're number one in, in uh, commercial duck production. If you eat duck in any of your restaurants, no doubt it came from, from a farm in northwest Indiana. Number one for um, office furniture, kitchen cabinets. Number one for robotic milking. Now, this is really cool. If you ever want to see a cow being milked by a robot, come to Indiana. But we're number one. The farm in Plymouth has more automatic or robotic milking machines than anybody. And the amazing part, I mean, they can run like 1,400 cattle through this milking with like four people, where they used to have you know, 10 times that number to be able to do that. So it's, it's, it's a huge advancement. Number two for popcorn, number three for total eggs produced, number four for turkeys, et cetera, or peppermint spearmint. You know, you like that in your gums. It's probably coming from Indiana. Number five for corn, corn soybeans, and hog productions. Logistics, I kind of mentioned that earlier. We move things. We're number one in rail shipments. Number two for the largest the second largest FedEx in the country is in Indianapolis. 
and no Memphis is number one. And I will tell you that Indianapolis will soon get to be number one because we have place for them to expand and we know that Memphis doesn't, so we're anxious for their growth as well. And number six with waterborne shipping. We have three international ports, one right up here on, on Lake Michigan and, and two on the Ohio River, soon to be a third. Uh, that'll be a few years down the road, but we're starting that process. So people don't realize that we've got access to the Atlantic Ocean and access down through the Gulf and out to the Pacific. So people don't think about a a state of Indiana with no oceans on its borders being able to do that, but um, we've, been, we've gotten high marks for that. Advanced manufacturing, number one in, in recreational vehicles. So if you have an RV, chances are 80% chance it was made in Indiana. Um, and we are the only state that has three auto manufacturers from Japan. We have Honda, we have, Tokyo, we have Subaru, and we have Toyota. And uh, actually, Subaru has been in Indiana for over 30 years. We celebrated that anniversary this year. Second largest automotive state by GDP. One out of every five jobs in Indiana is manufacturing. Maybe good news, bad news on that, because now when you think about manufacturing, too many people, and this is, this is not good for us, too many people think it's a factory. If anybody's been in an advanced manufacturing facility, it is not your grandfather's factory or your grandmother's factory. It is totally different. In fact, um, GE Aviation, which builds jet engines just in Lafayette, Indiana, you go in there and it's like a clean room. It's clean, you, never, you don't lift anything heavy, you're doing everything on computers. I mean, it's just totally different. And so we have to bring young people in to say, this is what advanced manufacturing is all about so that we can, again, hopefully get them interested in taking that, that um, career path. And life sciences, if anybody in here knows someone who has a new hip or a new set of knees, chances are, Part of them are now made in Indiana because we were number one in orthopedics and uh, number two in life science exports. International investments is also big for Indiana. We've got over 800 foreign-owned businesses. Japan is our largest uh, partner in this area with the United Kingdom, Canada, France, and, and Germany rounding out the top five. We have just received our first non-stop transatlantic flight from our airport in Indianapolis, and that's over to Paris, and it starts in May. It'll be a daily flight. Um, most of the years it may cut down a little bit during some of the months, but we're really pleased to have that, um, that which once you get into Paris, you can go to 120 other places directly from there. So we're pleased with that. I know that doesn't compare at all to Chicago O'Hare, but uh, we're hopefully making our way because we see the importance of connectivity. And particularly this Paris, we hope that it will open up a couple opportunities for some headquarters that need that kind of an access to be located in Indianapolis or Indiana in general. Uh, and we're working with some of our regional airports, South Bend, Fort Wayne and Evansville to do the same thing to mostly other places around the nation that, that is helpful for them on an economic development uh, point of view. And I will say that the state of Indiana provides incentives to be able to do this. If we've got a business case, we'll work with an airline to help provide some incentives to get that in place. Uh, workforce, as I mentioned, is an issue um, everywhere, I think. Uh, the governor has really focused on that. There's a new secretary in the state of Indiana called Career Connections and Talent. And uh, Blair Milo, who was a mayor of LaPorte, Indiana, took that position about in September of last year. So really focusing on workforce issues. And two new initiatives that did come out um, on the Next Level Jobs Initiative. First one is the Workforce Ready Grant, which is for individuals who need to go back and skill up, either to get a new certification or more training in something, the state will pay their tuition uh, 
for either an Ivy Tech, which is our statewide community college, or the Vinc Vincennes University to get that high pay, I, that next level that they need for the high page, high demand jobs. And the numbers you see in our counties are the number of applicants that we've got. So I think that shows you we, there was a need and that people are really jumping on the opportunity to have this, um, this assistance. And the second was employer training grants. So if individual ind companies could apply for training grants up to $2,500 per new employee that they bring on, up to $25,000 per company. So we've had lots of interest in both those programs. So how do you retain, how do you um, attract new talent? A few years ago, we started something called the Regional Cities Initiative, and if that's interest to you, I'll go into that in a little more detail. But it was providing some seed funding to projects that improve the quality of place, the quality of life in the different regions. We found out that regional planning makes sense. So go beyond your city, go beyond your county, and really come into anywhere from four or five counties working together to as many as 11 in, in the northeast corner of the state. And so there was a competitive application process, and we at that time only had seven officially um, organized regions that applied, and three of them got seed money of $42 million. So they, their, their, their um, plans come to us. Once they get their other funding, the state will come out and put in up to 20% was the plan come from the state, 20% matched by the local, and the rest, 60%, would have to come from the private developer, you know, on whatever it might be, be it a riverfront development, be it a um, residential units, whatever. Um, that, that was the plan. Reality, the state's only putting in 10% of these, the locals 15 to 20%, but private developers are coming out with 70% of the investment. And I think the, the, the real benefit of that is the fact that this was a regional plan. Everybody said, we want this, we need this in our community. It wasn't build it and they may come. It's build it because everybody wants it. And so the risk came out of the projects like that and I think a lot of um, private investment came, came more uh, quickly in those cases. The very first one, and that's where that picture is from, was in Poseyville, Indiana, which is way in the southwest corner of the state, and it was a medical clinic. And literally when I was there for the um, grand opening of that clinic, Someone came up to me and said, I don't have to drive 50 miles any longer to get a to a doctor's appointment. So that's a quality of life improvement. So we, we see those as great projects. Business create, whoop. Oh, that's, oh, business creation and growth. I forgot how this was, the slide was gonna work. We've got initiatives in several different areas to help grow our own. And we know that in order to get entrepreneurs going and thinking and businesses started, you really have to go into the educational system. So we've got programs in, in uh, K through 12 that were really focused on technology education, but uh, also pitch competitions. So we have a high school pitch competition that we're going to do this year. Um, we have Indiana Small Business Development Centers and the Indiana Procurement Technical Assistance Centers that really do a lot of great work of outreach with small businesses, helping them to get started. We have an entrepreneurial ecosystem as well. We've got over 140 co-working spaces, and we provide entrepreneurs in residence to work out around the state to really help entrepreneurs get on the right track and answer their questions and give them some experienced uh, advice. We have a seed fund, it's part of Elevate Ventures. We have what's called the 21 Fund, where we'll actually invest in smaller companies in the seed level. And we also have a scale-up capital, it's called the Next Level Fund. We have $250 million available set aside by the legislatures to invest in companies when they get to that point where they've got a product, they've got clients, and they just really need to have that next infusion of capital to help them scale up. So we've kind of got 
those things in place right now and, and really working toward that. And sorry about that graphic. We're really proud of the fact that we're, we got an A-plus for small business friendliness for the state of Indiana and that other grades happen differently. Sorry. I, should I take it down or should I just leave it? No, okay. <laughs> Just to round out, we love to promote Indiana, and we hope that all of you will find a reason to kind of look at us. And here's some of the, um, the hopefully interesting advertisements. I mean, I like the New York. If you can make it there, you can make a whole lot more of it in Indiana. <laughs> we don't have mountains and oceans, and we get criticized that for that once in a while, but we say we have mountains of savings and oceans of opportunities. So crazy idea, affordable rent, minutes from the office. So. But my favorite, my favorite by far is, admit it, you find me fiscally attractive. <laughs> you will have available to you a, a nice little um, piece that kind of talks about all the good things that Indiana's got going for it. So please take one with you. And if we can answer any questions uh, anytime, we'd be happy to do that. So thank you for your attention. So we'll turn it over to Brent now, and I'll just note that she, she had that one graphic. She gave you enough. I, I, I saw you like, I'm going to get the, I'm going to get you, Allie, for putting that in the presentation. But Mark, she also called you out on dairy. I mean, she's saying, you know, the dairy. So she's she's thrown down the gauntlet, and we'll let you take it from there. So if you haven't noticed, Tracy is definitely playing the role of agitator up here, right? We don't, have, as human beings, we don't have anything against each other. It's just. It's, get us going together, so. It's more interesting that way, right? <laughs> right, all right. Well, I'm supposed to talk a little bit about myself, give myself a quick introduction. At your tables, you'll see there's a longer bio and uh, a pick, but I'm here. Um, I've been with Intersect Illinois for just six months now, and I came from Lansing, Michigan, so um, the Lansing Economic Area Partnership, LEAP. I was there, I was the vice president for attraction there, and our CEO, Mark Peterson, recruited me about six months to join the Illinois team. I got my star in economic development back in 2000 when I worked at the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. So I wanted to first welcome all of our visitors to Illinois. Okay. And thank Cornet Global for inviting Intersect to be a part of this. Our CEO, Mark Peterson, is traveling out of state today, so unfortunately, you're stuck with me. Um, I'm the senior vice president. I, I didn't get to pick my title. I wanted Supreme Allied Commander, but um, Wesley Clark, you may recall him, uh, he took that, and that goes back to my Army days. So I'm the senior vice president of business development at Intersect Illinois. So I'm curious, I've seen some familiar faces in the crowd. How many of you have heard Mark Peterson speak before, or at least heard of Intersect before today? Great, great. Well, as you know, Mark is a great cheerleader for Illinois, and like he does, I'm gonna spend most of my time talking about the positive things going on in Illinois. And at the end, I'll talk a little bit about Intersect's role in all of this. So why choose Illinois? That's the question that I'm faced with every day at Intersect. As you can see from this list, we think there are several reasons why companies should choose to locate in Illinois. So let's dig into that a little more. Despite the distractions you might read or hear about in the media on a daily basis, 
or see up on a screen in a presentation right before you. <laughs> Illinois has many positive and exciting things going for it. Our continued growth and success, quite simply, has a lot to do with our strength in numbers. So let me ask you guys, when you're working with your client companies and they're looking to locate, what is the number one thing that they bring up to you, their number one concern? Talent, talent. 99% of the companies that I speak with say that the top priority is to locate near a talented workforce. And Illinois has nearly 6.6 .6 million people in our labor force. Despite increased investments in automation and technology, companies recognize that their number one asset is still people. So they continue to invest in training. In the Midwest, Illinois was ranked number one in last month's site selector workforce development rankings for having the most robust statewide workforce training programs. Having the right people with the right skills is critical for all companies. So let's talk about engineers. Any U of I alum out there? A few of you? Did you know that the University of Illinois was such an engineering powerhouse? Graduating more engineers each year than MIT, Stanford, and Caltech combined. It's also exciting to note that U of I engineers helped found companies like Yelp, YouTube, PayPal, and even Tesla Motors. And did you know that six United States astronauts are U of I engineering grads? Not only is the Big Ten University of Illinois putting out large numbers of engineers and other graduates that are staying in Illinois, but according to a recent study, using LinkedIn profile data, Chicago has been recognized as the number one metro for all Big Ten alumni. We have about 241,000 in our MSA. New York City has about 216, Washington DC 140, and Indianapolis has 63,000 Big Ten alumni. Of course, alum from all colleges and universities are a welcomed addition to our state's well-educated and highly diverse workforce. So these are the biggest, the biggest labor force numbers in the Midwest. One reason this large, talented workforce is here because of the well-established critical mass of businesses and, of course, the jobs they provide. Illinois has over 1.2 million businesses, including 36 Fortune 500 companies. In the top 75 are recognizable names, including Walgreens, Boeing, State Farm, ADM, and Caterpillar. These big employers obviously contribute significantly to our state's economy, but so do these more than 1,800 foreign-owned companies with over 5,600 locations across Illinois. They employ about 5.7% of the total employment in the state. And similar to Indiana, our top foreign investors are from the UK, Japan, Germany, France, and Canada. And it certainly helps that right here in Chicago, we have 82 consuls general offices. So let's keep talking about numbers. 796 billion, it's a big number. In 2016, Illinois' GDP was number five in the nation, in the 17th largest GDP in the world. Our state's GDP is so big, 
you would need to add up Indiana and Wisconsin and still include the District of Columbia's GDP to equal that of Illinois. Now let's look at some project numbers. 434, according to Site Selection Magazine's 2016 rankings, Illinois was number three in the country with 434 projects in these key sectors. Headquarters, distribution warehouses, manufacturing facilities, and office spaces. 3.8 billion. Those 434 jobs led to more than $3.8 billion of investment in Illinois and added 50,000 new jobs. We certainly hope Illinois maintains or moves up in the rankings in Site Selector magazines for 2017, which is due out next month. Let's look at the projects from 2016. The top projects, as you can see here, the automotive industry made significant investments in Illinois with 1,700 jobs and $576 million in facilities and equipment. Not listed here, but more recently, you may have read about Carl Buttig and company announced they'll be adding 250 to 300 new jobs, opening another operation that will include a $20 million investment at the former Butterball plant in Montgomery, Illinois. So let's talk about Amazon HQ2 for just a second. We at Intersect worked very closely with city, state, and other local officials to submit urban and suburban sites for Chicagoland and Southwest Illinois. All of us are excited that Chicagoland has made the shortlist and continues to be considered for this monumental project. Unfortunately, that's all I can say about HQ2 at this time. So, Amazon has seven distribution centers in Illinois already and has recently surpassed 10,000 employees at each of those, excuse me, at all of those locations combined. One big reason Amazon is already here, no state is better connected with our logistics and transportation network, except maybe Indiana. They had a slide very similar to this. Let's get back to numbers, 208. That's how many direct destinations O'Hare serves. 65 of those are international de destinations, as shown on this slide. And these don't even include all the cargo flights that are in and out of O'Hare on a daily basis. And we can't forget about Midway, who, on top of O'Hare, serves an additional 20 million passengers a year. Seven. It's not a big number. But Illinois is the only state to have all seven class one railroads with numerous intermodal hubs, waterfront ports, inland ports, airports, and the Illinois interstate system, products and people can move quite efficiently around and through our state. Unless of course you're stuck in Chicago's rush hour traffic. Two, since I'm throwing out numbers, I might as well mention that Illinois has the second lowest industrial electric rate in the country. And our utilities, ComEd and Ameren, they're often recognized for their improved reliability with continued upgrades to our grid. <laughs> Exceptional quality of living. Man, this one's usually hard to quantify, but as we all know, it's critical when we're trying to attract a talented workforce. So you'll see some impressive numbers up there as well. We have miles of biking and running trails, hundreds of parks and beaches, countless restaurants. 
We have numerous theaters, museums, and art galleries, and plenty of nightlife and entertainment venues. So before I wrap up, I wanted to say a few words about Intersect Illinois. Our top priority and primary focus is to attract jobs and investment to Illinois. We're a private, nonprofit organization with just 10 staff members, and we're supported by contributions from 65 companies and other organizations. We do not receive any funding from government agencies, although we work very closely with our friends at the Department of Commerce and Economic Opportunity on most of the projects. We're working diligently to streamline the site selection process for companies, site selectors, brokers, economic development organizations, and others involved in helping locate companies in Illinois. Our role is to be the single point of contact to help navigate the landscape at the state and local government levels. Intersect is a business development organization created to market Illinois' strengths and assets. And we are focused on recruiting companies in these key industry sectors. We're also focused on increasing foreign direct investment from these and other targeted countries. So, what can you do to help? Or how can you engage Intersect? First, start by being a goodwill ambassador for Illinois. Share the positive news that's occurring around our state. Do you have a project or have you heard of one? Be a matchmaker and call us to see how we can help you, your client, or your community. Or become a partner and help us spread the positive message about Illinois. Join us as a key, at key events in the state, across the country, or on one of our international trips. Or consider possibly taking a seat on Intersect's board. If any of this appeals to you, my contact information is right there. I'd also be glad to chat with you after the events. Thanks to all of you for joining us here in Illinois today. Thanks for your time and attention. All right, Mark, we're going to turn it over to you. You get the last word. I do. <laughs> the great thing about Actually, this when you go you last. They get the last word with yeah. the Q&A, so you yeah, guys we'll, be thinking we'll about, about your questions. Uh, the first, first liars never have a chance in these things, so that's the, that, that's the start of it. But um, this should just roll forward. First, thanks for the opportunity to be here today. We always in, enjoy coming into the Bears territory to talk about all the great things happening in Wisconsin. <laughs> Uh, I don't really have much to say about the Packers season this past year other than Aaron Rodgers is healthy and we feel good about it. But, you know, WADC was formed in 2000, at the end of 2000, uh, beginning of 2011, Governor Walker's first year. It was, it was the first act that he put into legislation as governor of the state of Wisconsin. And the, it was formed out of a, a, a bipartisan uh, approach the, following, the previous year that um, basically his opponent in the 2010 gubernatorial election and Governor Walker both said they were going to institute a public-private partnership. Uh, what's, what about uh, WEDC is that we don't have a Department of Commerce within the state of Wisconsin. So we have about, um, we have about 100 
five people that work with WEDC. Tricia Brown, who is our uh, Deputy Secretary and our Chief Operating Officer, the brains behind the organization, is with me today. Um, but it's, it really is a privilege to lead such a talented group, and I know that, that uh, everybody in this room sees that, not just from WEDC in the state of Wisconsin, but economic development people throughout the states uh, really are talented, and they're absolutely committed to the work that they do each and other day, each and every day. We talk about our strategic pillars. So, we'll, you know, in the top, we talk about things like our entrepreneurial programs. Uh, that's very important to us. The business development, obviously, the attraction and retention, our primary reason for being there. Community and economic opportunity. To us, uh, to me, this is something that is really important because we look at it as from the quality of life standpoint. For our Main Street programs that we have in the state, we have over 30 communities in our state that have Main Street programs, part of the federal program. Really a, a key driver in the quality of life for the state of Wisconsin. And then our brand development and strategy, hopefully some of you in, in Illinois and Chicago have seen some of our ads on your transit uh, talking about what's good about Wisconsin. And then our operational fiscal excellence. We have about 600 partners in the state of Wisconsin. One of our key partners, Jim Page, is here today. Jim is the, the main attractions and retention person in the M7, the Milwaukee 7, which is the, the seven southeastern Wisconsin re, uh, uh, counties. Jim does an outstanding job. I know some of you know him from uh, prior experience. Jim, you've been there 12 years? So uh, just a, a, one of the key partners. But throughout the state of Wisconsin, whether it's in academia, it's in the industries, or it's with the, the local economic development agencies. We're very fortunate to have a, a very good group of people that are passionate and committed about their work. I'm a firm believer that economic development is most effective when it's done at the local level. The state can provide certain resources for that, but in the end, it really has to be the people that are on the ground in the community that are making the decisions. They should know what their needs of the community are better than we do. Uh, WEDC has a budget of about $55 million. Um, as I said, and about 80% of that is funded through GPR, through the state of Wisconsin. Again, we don't have a Department of Commerce, so all of our economic development programs run through WEDC. Uh, some measurable impact in fiscal 17. These are June 30th of that number. 129 communities assisted, almost 4,300 businesses assisted through uh, the work that we did. Uh, what's key to us is the leverage ratio. For every dollar of taxpayer money that goes in, we, there was $9 uh, dollars of private money or community money that was put in as part of the projects. And we had 22,000 direct jobs, uh, gains of about $23 million from a state revenue standpoint, and that's how we look at things. Everything that we do is based on a return on investment. Our GDP, uh, you know, we're, we're not as big as Illinois, but that's okay. Uh, but we have about a $310 billion GDP, and these are the 2016 numbers. I don't expect that the 2017 numbers are going to change appreciably. But as you can see on the right side, so much of our heritage, our legacy, is around uh, manufacturing. And it's, it's such a key component to what we do. It's, it's what we talk about from a, uh, our legacy, our DNA, is about, it's about manufacturing. And when we... Um, when we look at that, Indiana's number one, number one in, I don't mind saying that, in the per capita from a job standpoint, number, Wisconsin is number two. We have about 17 or 18 percent of our workforce is in some form of manufacturing. And when, when I think about an opportunity like Foxconn or Haribo, for example, two key wins for the state of Wisconsin this past year, um, I, I say this often, 
and, and as often as I can. Those opportunities came about because the thousands of companies and hundreds of thousands of employees that worked in manufacturing in the state of Wisconsin over the last 150 years. Our ability to, to attract businesses and, and, and retain businesses in the manufacturing, we really stand on the shoulders of all of those employees and all of those companies over a long period of time. From an export standpoint, we have about $22 billion. We just, this is 2016 numbers. We just announced yesterday uh, that we were at $22 billion. Our key trading partners are Canada, Mexico, and China, and they represent about 50% of our exports. From an industry standpoint, uh, again, uh, one of the things we do in Wisconsin and through WEDC, we support consortia of the various entities. So within each of these, there's a consortium that is driven largely by members, uh, by industry, by academia, and the government, we get involved, we provide some funding for these, but this has been a very effective way for us to tell the story in the state of Wisconsin because it's not just about the state or the community. What happens is the people from the industries, they get involved in our, um, in our opportunities because they, they understand that that's important to the growth of the state. Just run through some fast facts on, on these. Again, manufacturing, 460,000 jobs in the state, about 18% in the state. Uh, energy power and control is a big part of what we do. Uh, food and beverage, really, again, it's in our DNA. It, it started with the, the beer companies, the, the brewers in the, in the 1860s, the Millers, the Paps, Schlitz, um, all of those companies. They came to Wisconsin for two reasons. They came because of the workforce, and they came because of fresh water. And those two reasons continue to be the two driving forces that we have when we look at the advantages that we have and what we sell for the state. It really is about those two things. Water technology, I just mentioned that. This has really been something that has taken off in the last 10 years. Uh, the importance of that it cannot be really overstated. Uh, when we go on trade ventures internationally and we talk about our consortia groups, and we come to water technology, and no matter where they are, whoever we're talking to, they always want to come back to water because water is a key issue throughout the world, and, and we, are, we have solutions that we're putting in place in Wisconsin through our Water Council, and it's really it's a pleasure to be able to work with them. And then biohealth. Uh, UW-Wisconsin spends over a billion, w, or uh, UW-University of Wisconsin spends over a billion dollars in research every year. 70% of that is dedicated to the biosciences. So a lot of this is done right around the state. And then aerospace, uh, a growing uh, part of it, 70% uh, of, we have about 200 companies in there, 70% of those are Boeing, uh, provide Boeing products. So clearly it's something that, this is an area that when we look at things, this is an area that we think we can continue to leverage. So Wisconsin's in a great place, and it started in 2011 with Governor Walker being elected. The, some of the policies and reforms that have been implemented since that time, Act 10, which was the public union uh, issue back in 2012, uh, the right to work, that was passed over two years ago, has been a significant, uh, uh, it, it has had significant impact in our opportunities. And then the manufacturing egg tax credit, we have virtually no, we have a 7.9% tax, business tax, but we get a 7.5% um, credit against that. So there's virtually no tax on, the, um, on manufacturing or agriculture in the state of Wisconsin. So the results um, are significant. 
over $5 billion in taxpayer savings in the last seven years. We estimate that at the end of the next biennial budget, which we're currently in, it'll be $8 billion. Um, our credit rating has been upgraded by Moody's for the first time since 1973. And all of this re resulted in uh, the state of Wisconsin going from 41st in 2009 in Chief Executive Magazine's uh, best places, best states to do business. Now we're in the top 10. We have a 3% unemployment rate. We have a 69% labor force participation rate. Uh, this is something that we continue to work on. We have, uh, in Governor Walker and, and through the cabinet and the work that we're doing, a lot of, a lot of it is finding the individuals who should or could be working and give them pathways to work. And, and so a lot of the policies, a lot of the, the laws that are being passed, it's about this. And, and the numbers have come down dramatically. So in 2017, we had 59 projects. Now this is a calendar year, about almost 30,000 jobs created and retained and almost $12 billion in commitments. Site selection is a key part of what we do. We have 17 uh, sites throughout the uh, throughout the state, we have we work with Deloitte, use their program, and it's been very effective. And you can see the results on the right-hand side. I mentioned Haribo before. The significance of this is that uh, this is their first North American manufacturing facility, and to have it in Wisconsin, we view that as a huge win for the state. Quick Trip convenience stores throughout the state of Wisconsin, throughout the Upper Midwest, again a, a significant uh, opportunity for growth within the state. And then Foxconn, 13,000 jobs, a $10 billion investment, uh, over 20 million square feet down in Racine County. Uh, we, we estimate that the, uh, the supply chain impact on Foxconn will be about $1.4 billion to the state of Wisconsin. And uh, that would compare it to Oshkosh Corporation. You know, Oshkosh makes uh, trucks that keep our, our men and women safe every day in the military. They have a, their, their largest supply chain um, in the state of Wisconsin, it's, it's $300 million. So $300 million compared to $1.4 billion, we really look at this as a, a significant opportunity for the state. And then workforce development, we've got a lot of programs, as does everybody, about trying to, to attract and retain. Uh, we actually have a very high percentage of our uh, graduates from the state stay in the state. And again, we have programs and, and procedures that are in place that we're trying to attract and retain millennials, and people at any age that want to work. So uh, more on our website. Again, it's a, appreciate the opportunity to be here today and look forward to the questions. Thank you. All right, well, so Brent accused me of, of being the instigator. Um, so I'll agitator. <clears throat> agitator. He might actually be the instigator, not an <laughs> agitator, now that I think about it. But I wanted to, um, as we transition into the, the Q&A portion, I wanted to take a few minutes and talk, let them talk about how their states fit together um, as part of the Midwest and what we're seeing um, as a Midwest region. One of the um, things that we at Biggins, Lacey Shapiro, and I'm sure others of you have been following over the years, is that there's a narrowing gap. Uh, we talk a lot about labor cost, and for many years, um, the Southeast in particular, if you extend, include Texas, was really 
hard to, hard to argue against the labor cost savings that could be available in the Southeast. But what this chart shows, and um, thanks to my colleague Kyle for helping us pull the stats on this, but it, you can see that there's still a gap. I'm not going to lie about that. There's still a gap. It's still cheaper in the Southeast, but you can see that gap narrowing. Um, and so I just wanted to, to, to give you guys a comment. Uh, let me try that again. An opportunity to comment on this trend. Are you seeing it? Are you hearing about it um, as you work projects? I'll just chime in, yeah, um, New World. A lot of you might have heard the Toyota and Mazda project, a big one that um, we had a chance at. Ended up going in the south, and that had a lot to do with labor costs. So we're definitely seeing it. So it's still, it's still the, it's the still challenge issue, is still right? there. The gap is narrowing, but it's still an issue. Well, I would agree with that. I think the gap is narrowing for a lot of all the other reasons. You know, Low taxes, stability of federal government or state government, et cetera, et cetera, and workforce availability because I think they're faced with the same struggle in many of those places as finding workforce. Absolutely. Yeah. Clearly, wages are important. I, I, I kind of look at it a little differently. I mean, I came from a banking background, and and I talk about the you know, 15, 20 years ago, our best customers were investing in technology and productivity improvements, and um, those people in in, in People could look at that and say, well, you're, you're not, you don't want to hire as many employees. No, they're improving their opportunities. And when you look at where those companies are today, they employ more people in our state than they ever have before. They're, they're stronger, they're better, because they invested in productivity. And when you invest in that productivity, the type of worker, the background of the worker that you need to have, is, um, it's, it's different. It's, and, and so that's the wage growth. And I look at it and say, you know, the labor costs are important, but if that employer is getting value for the wages that they're paid because this is a higher skilled person, that's a really good thing. So you can kind of look at this, at this graph and, and, until you get behind the, uh, behind the numbers on it, but I just look at it and say, if your wages are going up because you are employing more highly skilled people, that's a very good thing for your state. Well, and to go along with that, advanced manufacturing, both of us are probably seeing in the state less in that sector, less workers. Because as automation comes online, the number of employees for those businesses is going down. So, and wages are hopefully going up. So that's what we're kind of going to see in the future. I'm tempted to ask you the average wage for an automated milk machine. I don't know operator. the answer to that. <laughs> but I, I wouldn't expect you would, so I, yeah. I won't put you on the spot. They don't pay the robots, but they <laughs> buy the robots. But. So I wanted to throw this chart out to the panelists. And they've had a, a chance to, to look at it briefly. but. If you're a marketing consultant, this is not meant to be a great SWOT analysis, okay? But maybe just a bit of a conversation starter. Um, so we have strengths and weaknesses that we're seeing from who we are internally, and then also opportunities and threats based on external forces. Um, and I just spoke to the labor cost gap uh, with the southern states narrowing as a poten potential external opportunity. Um, but let me just throw it to you guys. This, uh, any of these elements that you react to and want to amplify and say, yes, this is in the right box, it's not in the right box, anything that you would add? Um, Elaine, maybe we'll start with you this time? Well, for Indiana and probably Wisconsin as well, the right to work is not a weakness, obviously. We'd move that over to a strength. Um, so that was the only thing that I noticed right away. For sure. kind of, that's not a weakness? 
So I will address that for Illinois. <laughs> since we are smack dab in the middle is the only not right to work state. Um, you know, we work with a lot of companies. In fact, I've been working on a project with Ivan recently where they come in and they're very concerned that we're not um, right to work state. But when we get down to the granular level, and these are small to medium enterprises, um, you know, most of them are not union anyway. Um, so we quickly dispel that notion that the entire state is a hotbed for union activity because we know that it really isn't. But having said that, we know that there are companies that don't do their homework and immediately think Illinois is off their radar just because we're not right to work. What percent is unionized? Uh, I, I want to say it's down close to about 10%, but don't hold me to that figure. I, I would agree. I think right to work is a real key to, to uh, our getting opportunities. I think our manufacturing tax credit is a real key to our getting opportunities. The, the workforce, um, uh, we, have a, we have a technical college system in Wisconsin. We've had 16 technical colleges. I don't know how many satellites there are, but we have uh, well over 300,000 people that are in the technical college system every year. And for over 100 years, they've been providing solutions for employers in their area. And it's a significant, I mean, I view that as a significant uh, asset. And we sell that. We lead with that. And, and one of the things, and I realize who I work for, but, uh, you know, I give Governor Walker a lot of credit because one of the things that he has done very successfully within the state is he has... Um, he has talked about the importance of education and, and the quality and the dignity of a job, regardless of how you, the kind of background and the academic background that you have. Not everybody needs to go to college. Some people, they should be going to uh, technical colleges. Uh, some people can get skills within the, and we work with fab labs in our state. We've got over 30 fab labs within school districts in the state, which are directing, you know, they're giving kids an opportunity to do things with their hands that they had never thought about doing before. And, and the thing about the Fab Labs in Wisconsin is it's not just that opportunity is there are as many kids in there that go on to four-year schools and that will be doctors and lawyers, but they love the opportunity to use their hand in, in, hands and, and solve problems with their hands. We call those maker spaces yeah. in Indiana. Maker We've got spaces. a lot of those in the high schools. And it actually reinvigorates students who maybe are on the wrong track to get back on the right track because they find new interest in that. We used to have shop class. Home ec, when we were in school, they kind of did away with that, and now this is all sort of coming back. Uh, but I would agree with, with the importance of having those alternative education channels. And, and uh, Ivy Tech, it's Indiana Vocational Schools, the largest community, statewide community uh, education system in Indiana. And uh, what we try and do with employers when they come in and they ask us that question of where am I going to get my pipeline is to immediately partner them with an educational institution, be it Purdue University for Engineers or Rose Hallman or South or Notre Dame, but Ivy Tech or Vincennes University for various jet, jet production certifications that they need and that type of thing, and, and make sure that they have a partner immediately to help get that, that uh, supply of personnel to them. You mentioned shop class. I, I went to high school a long time ago in the early 70s, and I, I took shop class. And, and I always joke about it when, when I talk to our Fab Lab people because I said Wally Allen, who was the teacher in that class, I think his number one goal was to make sure that I ended up with 10 oh, fingers when I graduated from the class. And I was able to Looks do like that. Looks like you succeeded. Yeah, yeah. I counted so you, 10 you, really quickly right. there. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah, but now you don't do as much cutting. You do much, you, do, you punch exactly. the, the computer more than you do that. So it's a little safer. Yeah. 
Well, I have, I, I could ask a million more questions on this slide or a million others, um, but I want to uh, share and let you have an opportunity to ask your questions as well. So we have a mic and it looks like Rob is gonna bring it to you if you just raise your hand or stand up if you have a question. It looks like, uh, Teresa. Yeah. Hi. Um, actually, Elaine, this was a good point that you made about the labor wages and the gaps in those, uh, how those lines are uh, merging. The question I had was primarily around that very point. Um, when you do a total cost of operation from one state to the next, I guess maybe this is for Tracy or for you all, do you include the AI in those workforce numbers? I mean, how do you quantify when a factory moves from a highly skilled labor force to an automated workforce? How do you quantify that? Do you know what I'm asking? Do you, do you have the question, Elaine? Well, she started with you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the reason no, is because I think that's right. going to be a big issue right. going forward, <laughs> and how do you quantify the AI workforce? Those that have skills in and show Well, show in that in a marketing, if you will, uh, dollars and cents kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I just, Elaine, I'll give you a couple seconds to think. I'm not maybe. sure she's asking, but um, how, how we account for it in our analysis of whether or not you put a plant here versus somewhere else. Yeah, and it also ties into the overall workforce skill set. Right. You know, how do you, how do you show that as a, in the Uh, well, yeah, I can answer that question. Obviously, when we put a package together, or maybe not, obviously, the higher the wage, the better the incentive package is going to look. So fewer employees but higher wage can, can come around to getting a nice package put together. So obviously, in our calculation of that package, that plays a big role. Um, one of the struggles, and this isn't exactly your answer now, but a lot of businesses need to do huge upgrades because they're changing their equipment over to be a lot more automated in their production maybe than, than what they were. How do we have an incentive package that does help those businesses increase that, be um, assisted for that asset or that capital investment that they're making to upgrade, knowing that those jobs now will stay there, even though they're not adding a new job? And I think we're, we're faced with that in Indiana to figure out what is it a creative way that we can, can provide an incentive, even though there's no more job benefit coming, coming to the state, no more jobs created, but we can maybe focus on the fact that those jobs will stay here because now we have the plant that has been put to the right level. We're not going to be sitting there as a plant that's going to constantly be losing employment because we're not as automated as their other plant somewhere else in the country. So that's a struggle. I don't know if I answered your question, but well, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think Elaine does hit on a key point there, which is that this is still a very, it, it's still in transition. Right. So to the point of, AI workers, um, there's not great data that's available out there at, a, at a, you know, across the board. Um, it's just not available yet. So what we find in the consulting world is that if we're trying to get our arms around that, we're having very, um, we're having an open conversation back and forth about who's doing what in their markets, and it becomes a very primary research type of um, type of uh, activity. Other questions? 
Don't make me call on names. I know a lot of you. All right, well, I'm gonna give you one more second to think, and I'm gonna ask another question, which is, um, again, I'm not the agitator. I'm gonna bring peace here, but I'm gonna start with you, Brent. Um, tell us, and we'll go down, the, go down the table here, but tell us, we talk about all the strengths of Illinois, Wisconsin, and Indiana, but the economies don't stop at the state lines. And, and what you guys are doing in your states is really helping or hurting the others at the table. So Brent, could you maybe comment on something that Indiana brings to the table or Wisconsin brings to the table that helps you sell Illinois, that helps make Illinois stronger? Um, well, I, the Midwest is uh, a hotbed, um, an authority in manufacturing. So I think if there's a, a big OEM that locates in either Indiana or Wisconsin, we're gonna have the supplier network in our state that will benefit from that. And Southern Illinois is a great example with all of our automotive suppliers down there that if an OEM gets an, a new product line or you know um, grows in either, either of these states, then we're gonna benefit from that. Great, thank you. Blaine? Um, you know, we're really focused on quality of place in many ways to retain and attract uh, talented workforce. And, you know, to have um, a Chicago close by to northwest Indiana obviously is beneficial because you have to have that critical mass to have the amenities that people want. And we can't build a new Chicago probably in, in northwest Indiana, but we certainly can be very close. In fact, once we finish the double track on the, um, on the railroad, it, from Gary, Indiana, it'll be 30 minutes to downtown Chicago. From South Bend, Indiana, it'll be 90 minutes, you know, down from two and a half hours. So we see that that ability to bring people into what they might like to find as their, as their entertainment or whatever um, in the Chicago area or trailing spouses. You know, Notre Dame can now hire a faculty member and have a trailing spouse working in Chicago. So, I mean, there's a lot of benefits that are going to come because of that. So I think that's positive. Unfortunately, Wisconsin's a little bit farther from us, and I'm just glad we're not competing with them, but um, in many ways we are. I will say one thing. We are in the top 20 for Amazon as well. So, um, and tra talking around the state, you know, I think everybody recognizes the benefit that an employer like a Amazon will bring. And all totally around the state, even though central Indiana is the, the one in the, in the mix right now, um, they understand the benefit that will come to everywhere in the state, which is, is good to know. And, and likewise, stating surrounding us, so. Yeah, just from Wisconsin's perspective, I, I, I said earlier, the, the one thing I like about Illinois, it's between Indiana and Wisconsin, because then we don't, we don't have to compare ourselves to Indiana. And there are a lot of comparisons with Indiana. Mm -hmm. But uh, clearly the, the items that have been uh, pointed out are very true. Every year, this is a 2015 study, it's the last one. Uh, every day, 57,000 people go from the state of Wisconsin to the state of Illinois to work. Every day, half of those numbers, there's 27,000 that go from Illinois into Wisconsin. So clearly there's the border communities, and it goes all the way up from Milwaukee all the way down to, to Chicago to be able to do that from east to west. And so it's Madison, it's Rockford, it's Illinois, it's Chicago. So having that uh, as, as part of our workforce, it's, it's really important. Um, as I've said when we were doing the Foxconn deal, I'd like to find a way for the 57,000 people to work in the, in the state that they live in. And, um, and I think that's our opportunity. But you know, when you travel internationally, as big as Chicago is, 
people, you know, you look at it and you show them the Midwest map, and here's the middle part of the state, or the middle part of the uh, United States, and here are the attributes of the middle part of the United States. That's what they talk about. That's what connects with them. It's not true of companies that are domestic, but internationally, they're thinking about the Great Lakes, the Great Lakes region, and the strengths that we have that have been, you know, for decades that have really supported what we do. Okay, Tracy, one more. Tracy, I think our time is up. Oh. So I want to thank you and our panelists for coming today. A fascinating program.